Hello, me, I said to myself one afternoon. Oh, hello, myself, I replied. How would you like to take on one of the toughest topics in tabletop RPG land, I asked myself. Kindly get thee to a nunnery, I responded. And then I murdered me, because I am chaotic neutral and I thought it would be funny. That's how it works, right? Strap in, dear listeners. Today, we're going straight for the throat of a thorny, ugly problem that goes all the way back to the roots of tabletop RPG gaming. Man, I sure am doing a lot of these lately. We're going to talk about alignment, and may Paladine and Sarenrae and Paylor have mercy upon us all. Hail and well met, Traveler. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I am one-third of the team at TumbleDye Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to simulate the arc and tension of a three-act story within the framework of a tabletop RPG. You can find out more at www.tumbledye.com, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at TumbleDye, or Instagram. Oh, alignment! What sordid truths conceal ye within the doughty folds of thine own indolence? I'm not sure there's any trapping of tabletop RPGs that has entered the cultural consciousness quite like alignment. I'd be willing to bet that anyone who spends time on the internet, but has not directly interacted with a tabletop RPG, probably would recognize that ubiquitous two-axis, nine-panel layout that has been burned into our brains by far too many hours of rolling dice. Law versus chaos. Good versus evil. All the steps in between. It seems like it pretty well covers the world. We've probably spent time considering our own alignments in the context of those two axes, as though it provides some sort of deep insight into who we are. Alignment is not a straitjacket, screams the DM's guide, in a single line of nine-point text secreted away on page 271 of 794. And immediately every player of the game treats it as just that, an unwavering, shining beacon which permanently defines your character, and serves as yet another source of punishment should you dare stray from its boundaries. Obviously, this is an exaggeration. But unless you've been very lucky in your game experience, you may sense the kernel of truth in there. Especially for the players whose tabletop RPG experience is already adversarial, alignment is just one more cudgel with which to beat the other players into submission. You can't do that! They shriek, aghast. It's against your alignment! I'm here today with a hot take. I am usually very much in the vein of letting everyone play their own way and use whatever tools they have at their disposal to make their game the best that it can be. But not today. I contend that D&D alignment is a straitjacket. Not in the sense that the game manuals mean. An individual character can easily make a choice outside their chosen alignment, and individual tables and games can be flexible about it, or do away with it entirely. But systematically, the two-axis law v. chaos, good v. evil alignment is a rigid, inflexible system, which narrows our thoughts, clouds our minds, and provides far too easy pathways for us to dehumanize, demonize, and justify violence against our opposition, simply by slapping a label on them that says, Chaotic Evil. 
I think that the game of D&D would be well served by thinking past tradition and completely reimagining this antiquated, constricting, and downright boring subsystem of the game. But they probably aren't going to do that. So, what do we do instead? Well, if you've been listening, you probably know that at least one of my answers is play a different game. But, as we also know, that is not always an option. Instead, let's take a look back at where D&D alignment started, and what it is now. Let's check out at least one alternate take on the matter, from something outside D&D, and see if we can distill what exactly this subsystem is trying to accomplish. Then, we'll see about an alternative, ideally something that we could hot-swap into any game. But we'll burn that bridge when we get to it, as a dear friend has often said. From the Basic Expert D&D Rules Cyclopedia, page 10. An alignment is a code of behavior or way of life which guides the actions and thoughts of characters and monsters. There are three alignments in the D&D game, Law, Chaos, and Neutrality. Players may choose the alignments they feel will best fit their characters. A player does not have to tell other players what alignment he or she has picked, but must tell the Dungeon Master. Most lawful characters will reveal their alignments, if asked. When picking alignments, the characters should know that Chaotics cannot be trusted, even by other Chaotics. A Chaotic character does not work well with other PCs. Alignments give characters guidelines to live by. They are not absolute rules. Characters will try to follow their alignment guidelines, but may not always be successful. Uh, wow. So, alignment is a guideline, but Chaotics cannot be trusted, even by other Chaotics. This is... Only a Sith deals in absolutes territory of self-contradiction right here. See, the reason for this is that this book expects every player character to be lawful, or maybe neutral. Lawful alignment is a guideline, to which we struggle to adhere. Chaotic alignment is just what that person or creature is. If we go down just a little further to page 11. Chaos is the opposite of law. It is the belief that life is random, and that chance and luck rule the world. Laws are made to be broken as long as a person can get away with it. It is not important to keep promises, and lying and telling the truth are both useful. To a chaotic creature, the individual is the most important of all things. Selfishness is the normal way of life, and the group is not important. Chaotics often act on sudden desires and whims. They have strong belief in the power of luck. They cannot always be trusted. Chaotic behavior is usually the same as behavior that could be called evil. So, alignment is a guideline, but chaotic creatures by nature cannot be trusted, and have behavior that could usually be called the same as evil. Hmm. Interesting. D&D is drawing its battle lines here. The PCs are lawful, or neutral, which seems to be included as an afterthought. Creatures, struggling to impose order on chaotic creatures, who absolutely, under no circumstances, should be considered trustworthy. Alignments even used to come with languages specific to each one of them. And perhaps the most hilarious part of that little nugget is this, also from page 11. A character may not learn a different alignment language unless he changes alignments. 
In such a case, the character forgets the old alignment language and starts using the new one immediately. I mean, are you serious right now? What I would like us all to stop and think about is that this is a game design choice. We, the Lawfuls, are right and good and trustworthy. The others, the Chaotics, are bad and wrong and evil. We shall go and feel good about smiting the Chaotics. We can trust that we are right, for we are lawful. This permeates everything about this old adventure game, which was designed as an excuse to go raiding fanciful underground complexes of imagination and looting them for everything they were worth. Grave robbing, really. In some cases, just regular robbery. So here, at the beginning, we are presented with just a single axis. Lawfulness and goodness are commingled into one, and chaos and evil are blended into the other. Neutral is basically just a cop-out choice, or perhaps they were just born with a heart full of neutrality. Then comes AD&D, and we get the second axis that builds the grid we're all so familiar with today. Law versus chaos, and good versus evil allowing us to distinguish between unpredictable but generally helpful, chaotic good, and insane zealot or corrupt politician who follows the letter of the law to his own corrupt ends, lawful evil. As useful as this distinction was at the time, it only furthered the cause of setting up a character for a lifetime of making the exact same choices over and over again, and being penalized for daring to venture outside the lines of their chosen alignment that they picked way back at level 1. What if their circumstances change? What if they suffer some great tragedy that shakes the foundations of their world, and perhaps even their soul? What provisions are made for someone who sees the outcome of their choices and decides to make different ones? The AD&D 1st Edition Player's Handbook puts it like this, on page 34. Even involuntary drift will bring the necessity of great penance. Is it any wonder that people continue to treat this thing like a straitjacket, when it's been couched in language like this for literally 40 years? The 5th edition player's handbook is a bit nicer about this, probably because people have been struggling against the straitjacket for so long that it's begun to come loose at the edges. In fact, D&D 5 has de-emphasized alignment by quite a bit, which is at least a step in the right direction from page 122 of the 5th edition Player's Handbook. Humanoid races can choose whether to follow the paths of good or evil, law or chaos. According to myth, the good-aligned gods who created these races gave them free will to choose their moral paths, knowing that good without free will is slavery. Okay, okay, we're a bit better here. But then it immediately goes on to talk about how orcs are pretty much always bad because orcs. Even if an orc chooses a good alignment, it struggles against its innate tendencies for its entire life. Yeah, that's not a great look there, D&D. Folk we consider good have free will. Folk we consider bad are actually pretty much always evil. In the 5th edition player's handbook, there is no mention about changing your alignment. It's free will, y'all. You can do whatever. If that's the case, though, why'd they even leave it in there? With no mention of even what changing alignment entails, it becomes something you put on your character sheet and then basically forget about. Except for when you see it, every time you look down at your character, because it's still right at the top. 
My conclusion is that D&D and its descendants do not want you to change your alignment. They want you to choose something at the beginning, preferably something labeled with good, so that the DM can label your opposition as evil, and we all feel very good about vanquishing evil, as we gain our sweet sweet XPs and become as gods, or loot the tombs of ancient pharaohs, I mean ancient wizards, for golden trinkets and riches beyond our wildest dreams. Huh. <sighs> even thinking this through makes me feel sort of queasy. As a counter-perspective, let's take a look at another alignment system for fantasy role-playing. Meaning that we're still in a similar wheelhouse, but not squarely in D&D or its progeny. Of late, I've been reading, and dabbling in playing, Zweihander, a game created steeped in the themes of the Warhammer fantasy setting. I found Zweihander's alignment system to be an intriguing change so far, and here's why. Because Zweihander is basically Warhammer fantasy with the serial numbers filed off, chaos is an active and malevolent force that permeates everything. It's an important consideration in the feeling of the game, and not just in this one mechanic. Trying to run a Zweihander game without chaos would be... well, it would be weird. Where in D&D, law and chaos are just sort of philosophies that free-willed humanoids can choose to follow or not, in Zweihander, chaos is something which actively seeks to corrupt mortal minds and mortal souls. It creeps into everything, and only the strongest minds can resist it, for a time, anyway. What I'm getting at here is that in Zweihander, the struggle between order and chaos is actually part of the game mechanics. It's intrinsic to the setting, meaning that you can't easily just ditch chaos as a concept. You probably could, but the game would lose some of its flavor of struggling against the impossible and seductive lure of the darkness. So, at character creation in Zweihander, you either choose or randomly select a pair of diametrically opposed values for your Zweihander character. Well, not opposed exactly, more like reflections of one another. Duty and fatalism, zeal and fanaticism, cunning and deceit. Every character starts out in sort of a neutral place, somewhere between these two ideals. Throughout gameplay, as the characters encounter the terrible things in the world, make impossible choices, and generally do what people do to survive despite heavy odds against them, they encounter corruption. Then, based on the result of a die roll against that corruption, they either slowly slide toward chaos, or struggle against it toward order. As with D&D, it's mostly designed as a role-playing tool. It's not supposed to be the end definition of your character, but it is supposed to give you an idea about where your character falls in the struggle between order and chaos, and give examples of how that manifests based on the opposing principles. They do also provide a paragraph about changing alignment which is interesting. From Zweihander Core Rulebook, page 71. Your alignment may change over the course of a campaign. These sorts of changes are always the result of major events that transpire as you play your character. Events that lead to such a shift in personality should be long in the making, rare or climactic enough to justify the change. Your alignment may change due to a traumatic experience where your character is faced with the death of a loved one or friend, a particularly glorifying or unvirtuous choice you made, a frightening conclusion to a long story arc, the effect of madness or any other host of instances you and the GM feel appropriate. 
So Zweihander outright acknowledges that people are changed by their experiences. Because the alignment system here is focused on the opposing principles, a shift in those principles is much more clear and easily understood than the change from chaotic good to chaotic neutral. Even though the dichotomy is the same, order good, chaos bad, to put it reductively, it's a bit different in its execution because of the fact that chaos is not an abstract concept here. It's the thing inside all of us, the bad voice, the shoulder devil, that we have to remind ourselves to ignore. Chaos is not the other here. Chaos is us. It is a path which beckons every Zweihander character, and must be actively resisted in order to defy it. And even then, it will probably worm its way in, given enough time. I think this is what makes the difference, at least for me, between these two ways of looking at alignment. Our characters are not simply choosing to be lawful or chaotic, good or evil. Rather, they are at a fork in the road when their adventure begins, with an ideal in their mind, but at a position of neutrality. And then they are changed by the experiences they have. Reinforcing their ideal, or sliding toward its opposite. And even, in some drastic cases, reconsidering and shifting the bedrock principles that their lives are based on. It's a game mechanic, not just a label, and one that helps us to outline the kind of stories that Zweihander is meant to tell. It does more than just allowing us to declare that we are good and the other is evil. It acknowledges and exaggerates, as good stories do, a struggle which exists in all of us, one between right and wrong, good choices and poor ones. Our own choices are less drastic than the ones made by Zweihander characters, we hope, but the essence resonates in a way that a static alignment selection does not. So, let's say we want to play an RPG. The players we can gather are only going to be satisfied with D&D or one of its brethren, or Khuzrin, in the case of Pathfinder. But you and I are on the same page, and alignment is now a thing we don't really want to use at our table. But we'd still like to do something to help guide our players in role-playing their characters and giving them something to focus on. Let's consider also that we may want something that will feel less static, something that may change throughout the game rather than leaving us tethered to a stone we are sinking in the Lake of Adventure, but not necessarily something as clear-cut as the Zweihander system, since that evokes a very specific flavor that our game may not have. Here's my thought. One place I think D&D 5 actually does something verging on correct is the personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws that you're supposed to add to your character. Unfortunately, these basically end up being nothing at all, because they have no mechanical benefit, and no other interactions within the game systems. Again, in contrast to the Zweihander alignment, where the character experiences danger and trauma, suffers corruption, and then attempts to resist it. Even D&D Beyond essentially hides these pieces of the character away on a description tab in the character sheet. They're just not that important, all things considered. For today, I have a quick shout-out to some folks doing just wonderful work in the live-play podcast arena. Lawful Great Adventures, at great underscore lawful on Twitter, is the story of four friends from a small farming town, Finn, Thane, Warren, and Theo. Like so many adventurers, they rise from humble beginnings and are thrust into a wider world that they barely understand. 
The setting is rich and customized homebrew, the characters and their players are delightful, and the stakes and consequences feel important. This is real good storytelling here. In theory they're playing Pathfinder 1st Edition, but it's squishy. Honestly, it hardly matters. I'm hooked on the story, and I can't wait to keep listening. Full disclosure, we're not affiliated in any way. I just think they deserve some more listens. I highly recommend checking out Lawful Great Adventures for your next live play podcast. So, what if we use something like this in order to replace alignment? Let's give our characters an ideal, a flaw, an aspiration, and a goal. The ideal is a principle, something they strive to represent and embody throughout their time in the world. The flaw may be related to their ideal, or maybe not, but it provides a fun foil and something for the character to keep in mind. Let's also borrow shamelessly from Fate Core and allow the flaw to be compelled. Essentially, in certain situations, the GM calls out the character's flaw, asks the PC if they want to use the flaw in the scene in exchange for, oh say, inspiration. Next, the aspiration. This is something far off or big that the character wants to accomplish. Find true love, or avenge my sister's death at the hands of King so-and-so. Perhaps, see the great statue of Whatsits on the other side of the world before I die. Something big, something unattainable at their starting station, and great inspiration for the GM to draw from. Finally, the goal. This is what the character is currently trying to accomplish through the lens of why they are participating in the story, and tempered by their aspiration. We want to drill down on this now. I have a one-year-old daughter, so you'll perhaps have to excuse this metaphor. You ever see Frozen 2? There's a point in the story where Anna is lost and does not know what to do. There's a theme that runs throughout the whole movie, one that says taking one step in the right direction is better than being stuck in the same place, even if you don't know what the step after that might be. She calls it do the next right thing. So what is your character's next right thing, based on their ideal and aspiration? What is the next action they want to accomplish on their journey? This one shouldn't be big. It doesn't have to be grandiose. Here's an example. If I look at two imaginary characters at the beginning of Curse of Strahd, let's look at Raymond, the human Oath of Devotion paladin, and Kuladena, the dwarf war wizard. They've both been transported from their homelands to Barovia for Strahd's amusement. This is literally the opening of the game, so no big spoilers here. Raymond's ideal, we'll call it mercy. His flaw is that he trusts too easily. His aspiration is to redeem one soul from the clutches of utter corruption. Kaladena's ideal is logic. Her flaw is that she talks down to those she considers her mental inferiors. Her aspiration is to learn one spell that no one in her homeland has ever heard of or seen before. These are two very different characters, and yet here they find themselves in the same place, willingly or unwillingly allied, against an enormous mystery and an entire land that stretches out before them, dark and hostile. 
What might each of these characters consider their next right thing? Both of them will want to find a reasonably safe place to hide, to catch their breath, to figure out what's going on, right? So that's not a great goal. We want it to be something guided by their aspiration. For Raymond, his goal might be find a spark of hope in this benighted place. Barovia is dark, foreboding, and Raymond will find the power of his deity dimmed. He will search for the first thing that shows the possibility of light in this darkness, which he is likely to find very soon, and then he will have achieved his goal, and can consider his next step in light of the revelations he receives. What about Kulodena? Her ideal is logic, and her profession as a wizard makes her apt to examine the magic around what's happening to her. Barovia is a very illogical place, and defies even the expectations of a wizard, I dare to say. She will be searching for something to ground herself, some piece of information for her to begin working out a solution. Her goal will be, find someone or something to describe these mists and tell me why we cannot leave this place. Now Raymond is searching for hope, and Kuladena is searching for answers, exactly the kinds of things that would not only be in character for them, but also things which help develop the story, keep them moving along, and seeking out answers in the story and the mystery. As the player considers these characters' goals, they will be continually asking themselves what they need to do next, what their character would desire, and how they might accomplish it. Using this in the framework of a D&D type game, I would suggest either a small XP bonus for achieving a goal and creating a new one, or, if you're not using XP, maybe some other small but noticeable benefit. Maybe a PC who achieves a goal immediately regains any spent hit dice. Or maybe it's one free automatic success on a skill check or saving throw. Something noticeable that won't break the game, but gives the players a good reason to seek out new information, new threats, and new goals. This is, of course, just one idea. But I would really like to rethink the idea of slapping a label on our characters and calling it good. I'd prefer them to be individuals, not stereotypes. And more than anything else, I personally want the game stories to be richer told, the heights of drama and comedy higher still, and the experience of the game to live on long after the stories end. Hopefully, maybe, this is one way to push toward that goal. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, on Podchaser, or tweet us at TumbleDie. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of TumbleDie Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond, the interludes are Clockwork, and the outro music is Storm, all by Vince Vept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash vincevept, V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Additional music by Andre Sitkov and Andy Ray. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. I'm not going to fight them, you fool. I'm going to kill them. You can find Threat Dice on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.